Hello and welcome to the Deals Talking M&A podcast, sponsored by Baker McKenzie. In this episode, we focus on health and biotech M&A, exploring the latest trends from a financial and strategic buyer perspective. Today, we're joined by a range of experts to predict what the next wave in health tech and biotech M&A will look like. First is Arthi Balani, a partner in Baker McKenzie's Palo Alto office. Next, Rachel Strick, Head of Immunology, Business Development and Acquisitions at AbbVie. Followed by Neil Varshney, a founding partner at Patient Square Capital. And last but not least, Michael Greeley, one of the co-founders of Flare Capital. And my name's Rob Hartley. I'm your host. The onset of the COVID-19 pandemic sparked massive changes in the health tech and biotech sectors, seemingly overnight. In tandem with demand for new technologies, we saw a dramatic increase in investment in the life sciences sector by both strategic players and financial investors alike. According to analysis by EY, global M&A investment in life sciences totaled $105 billion in the first 11 months of 2022, down 53% compared to $223 billion in 2021. In terms of deal volume, 161 transactions in 2021 compared to 124 in the first 11 months of 2022. Michael, as an early stage investor in health tech companies, could you tell us about the initial impacts of COVID-19 on the industry and the residual effects this dramatic acceleration might have moving forward? The effect has been uh, uh, incredibly profound. Healthcare was really confronted with having to, to uh, adopt a lot of novel technologies that, frankly, the executives running the healthcare industry hadn't needed to worry about as much. And now, uh, coupled with the movement from fee-for-service to more value-based cares and the pandemic overlaid, there was just a dramatic acceleration uh, in the need for healthcare technologies to be incorporated in those business models. Um, and so, you know, against that light, you had a real step up in in budgets, uh, executives were spending a lot in technology. And now with the, the correction, you know, we arguably created maybe too many companies in 2021. Uh, and, you know, that now needs to be reconciled. And there'll be, a, you know, pretty dramatic consolidation. As Michael alluded to, the massive step up in technology is defining COVID-19's lasting impact on the life sciences industry. One key technology that has become ingrained in health systems globally is telemedicine, Used by just 5% of patients before the pandemic, figures increased to 70% in 2020, according to the American Medical Association, AMA. As a partner in Baker McKenzie's Palo Alto office, Arthi focuses on M&A and venture deals in the tech and life sciences arena and has viewed firsthand a sea change in the expectation and adoption of telehealth. It was something that the telehealth community had been trying to advance for many reasons for many years, and the pandemic created a hot moment where behavior change and adoption of these technologies was obviously very much accelerated. I myself worked on a big vertical integration type acquisition in that space right after the pandemic, right when we were still in it really. Um, And it does seem like the kind of scarcity factor in that space is really providers and, and, you know, people kind of scooping up providers, I think, is is the trend. And obviously, health systems prefer to deal with um, larger um, providers and distributors. So I think we will see more consolidation there. But we're also seeing lots of great experiments. Uh, so I think I think we'll, we'll see we'll see both. We'll see lots of new companies um, coming up and, and then getting scooped up. 
Consolidation emerges as a forward-looking trend on the tail end of the health tech boom and subsequent market saturation of 2020 and 2021. Now let's bring in the strategic acquirer perspective into the mix. AbbVie competes with venture and private equity investors for the most attractive targets in the biotech space. Rachel, from your perspective, as head of immunology, business development and acquisitions at AbbVie, what can you say about the dynamic of relationship between strategic and financial buyers and sellers in light of declining valuations? As the valuations decline, big pharma or big uh, biopharma becomes a more attractive potential partner. Right? There was a long stretch of time when valuations were high and private money felt free. Right, They could raise a lot of capital without a significant amount of dilution. Now that it's harder to raise the private capital and the public markets are very, very tight, uh, the partnership space and the M&A route becomes a lot more attractive for these companies. And we find that uh, the sellers are working on developing relationships with us earlier in their process. Thank you, Rachel. And back to Arthi again. Arthi, according to you, while the market has changed the buyer and seller dynamic, are there still beneficial opportunities for 2023? I had a lot of buy side clients send out term sheets and, and LOIs and it was more so uh, rejection by by the sell side in my personal kind of data set here. Uh, plenty of revenue generating health tech, med tech, um, consumer, you know, health tech companies decided to postpone their auctions. So I'm hoping that some of those will decide to, you know, go to market in 2023. You know, obviously the valuations were higher in late 2021, but um, it will be, I think, ultimately good and synergistic, particularly if some of those companies can get into good kind of milestone earnout type, you know, deals and continue to share in their own growth um, with the acquirer who would give them obviously that type of company a much larger distribution platform. 2020 and 2021 proved to be back-to-back record-breaking years, not only for M&A, but biotech IPOs, as they became an optimal source of funding for biotech companies. The tides have since changed, however, According to a recent paper by J.R. Ritter, Cordell Eminent Scholar at the University of California, biotech IPO activity collapsed to just 17 last year, following 96 and 77 IPOs in 2021 and 2020 respectively. Looking into 2023, there are expectations of an increased number of delistings as well as PE firms stepping up with Tate private transactions. Neil, one of the co-founders of Patient Square Capital, a healthcare investment firm, shares what he is seeing on the ground. I do think there's a momentum behind this. Uh, personally, we have done now three take privates. We also did a, a rescue financing of a public company named Irgo, very exciting technology, a company that um, had some challenges as a public company. Stock price um, spiraled downward, and we were in a position to help uh, backstop an equity rights offering, and we'll end up owning um, the vast majority of that business as a public company. Um, We've seen that sort of dynamic play out in other situations. I would say that um, in contrast to say earlier in 21, if you look at sort of late 21, we have have really shifted late 21 and 22 to focus on what the market was giving us. And the market was very much giving us situations, whether they're take privates or 
financings or pipes um, and a growth-oriented companies. It's something that we've been very, very excited about as a thematic in our business. Market saturation and the recessionary climate have dampened M&A activity. However, as company creation recedes back to a more normal pace, it's clear that opportunities abound for venture capital investors in the health tech and biotech space. According to Michael, looking at the progression of the industry outside of the microcosm of the last couple of years is key. Over the last 10 years, each year, we were creating sort of 350 to 450 companies. That spiked to several hundred in 20 and 21, um, you know, sort of two to three X the number of companies. It feels like we're coming back into a more normal company formation uh, rate of sort of 350 to 450, maybe 500 this year. And that feels... Given the enormity of the category, it's nearly 20% of GDP, it, we should be able to absorb that level of capital inflows and company creation. So I, I think the the hardcore healthcare tech venture capitalists uh, continue to, to to believe that this, this really is the golden age of the sector, sort of the knee of the curve, and that over the next 20 years, some incredibly important and valuable companies will be created. Speaking of exciting opportunities for VC investors on the horizon, Arthi noted one long-neglected area coming to the forefront, which is femtech. Arthi, can you tell us more about it? In the last few years, the uptick in activity in the femtech space in particular has been really exciting as a woman myself to see that at every, in every role in that space, uh, women are just on the rise, women CEOs, women founders, um, women-run VCs that are putting funding into femtech companies of all kinds, uh, whether it's period tracking or assistance with perimenopause, assistance with PCOS, um, helping people going through breast cancer treatment navigate all of that. It's a space that obviously has been for far too long neglected by venture capital, probably because in you know people like to invest in what they know. And if the investors are mostly folks who aren't going through those issues, um, they will just say, well, it's just not something that I you know, understand. So it's great to see that um, greater representation in, in all of those roles has led to more, more products and investments, better uh, outcomes for us, right, as patients and consumers. I'd like to move now to another important topic, data and privacy rights. Considerations around privacy rights have become of increasing concern to regulators, exemplified by the European Union's General Data Protection Regulation and the United States California Consumer Privacy Act of 2018. As some organisations look to keep pace with changing regulations, Rachel outlines the importance of due diligence not just within but externally as well. Well, I don't have a perfect answer for the sector in general. I would say that for AbbVie specifically, it feels as if the industry with regard to patient privacy is now starting generally to catch up to where we are. In the past, we have had to do quite a lot of diligence around things like informed consent that our partners may have had in place for their clinical trials before we came on the scene. And we've always been very careful about what information we collect and how we use it. And now we're finding that that is more broadly true among potential partners of all sizes and in all geographies. The inherent lag between law and innovation adds another layer of complexity for businesses trying to navigate an already complex regulatory front. Take telehealth as an example. 
I, I would characterize the regulatory front as clouded. Uh, and hopefully we'll see some clarity over the next one to two years. Obviously, there were a lot of accommodations made as the system had to go virtual uh, at the outset of the pandemic. Uh, we saw some interesting regulatory uh, modifications around waivers for in-home care, uh, telehealth, virtual visits. But the, undoubtedly, the regulations, not you know, surprising in a very complex industry, are going to be slow to um, to accommodate and catch up to the to the rapid pace of innovation. If you couple the uh, uncertainties around the regulatory front and now a divided Congress in the United States, um, with you know the need for payers to see a lot of longitudinal data to be able to better assess cost benefit analysis, it will take a few more years, I think, for there to be real clarity. As we come to the end of our conversation, I asked Arthi, Rachel, Neil and Michael to each share their final outlooks for 2023. The challenges were apparent. Obviously, we are also seeing exits um, by Chinese companies. Um, you may have seen some of those, a prominent one in, in Los Angeles and, and in other areas. I expect you know, that that will um, continue um, the rise in regulatory scrutiny in terms of competition law and uh, foreign investment law, not only here, but, you know, around the world, similar regimes popping up makes it a bit more difficult for certain um, nationalities of, of acquirers. Any changes in the external environment will undoubtedly require companies to shift how they seek to access funding. We're seeing now, I think, a really big pinch in crossover rounds that because the IPO window is largely shut, there's not a lot of funding coming in for that that pre-IPO uh, raise. And that is where a lot of those companies are starting to say, if I can't access the venture funding or I can't access what I need to get myself into the public markets, now may be the time to start looking at a potential M&A. But following a challenging year for M&A in the life sciences sector, the consensus among our experts is that there is still optimism to be had about the path ahead for the industry. I think it's going to be sort of an unprecedented level of activity, both offensively and defensively. In part, I think you'll see a large number of private-to-private transactions Again, I'm speaking as an early-stage healthcare tech investor. Our sector saw an enormous amount of capital come into it as, uh, with the uh, arrival of the pandemic. And many of those companies, frankly, will just won't get to scale and will we'll look to combine with other similar businesses. So I think it'll be a, a, a terribly exciting time uh, for many. The technology and the science available for investors like us or the venture capitalists to invest behind is better than ever. I've never been more optimistic about what the science has yielded, the ability to treat patients in entirely new ways, new platforms, um, targeting diseases that you know up to here have been almost impossible with current modalities. And as a investor now with, uh, with you know, a, a significant amount of capital to invest, um, you know, we are, we're very, very excited to help support those companies that ultimately will improve the lives of patients. Michael, Neil, Rachel, Arthi, many thanks for your time. 
and for sharing your thoughts on the current biotech and health tech M&A landscape. And thanks to Baker McKenzie for making this podcast possible.